0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I'm John Human. I am the editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined this week by company's editor Stephen Wilmot. How are you doing, Stephen? Yeah, good, John. Thanks. Excellent. Busy week this week.
1: Has been, yeah. Yeah, good. Third quarter results season.
0: Good. Like to see you all uh, working hard over there in the company's desk. Uh, Emma Powell, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you.
0: And you've written the cover feature this week, which we're going to talk about. Outsourcing.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, carve up. Carve know, up. Carve public up. The country's public services, which we don't condone necessarily but if it's going to happen we might as well make the most of it and bradley gerard how are you bradley i'm
3: fantastic thanks john
0: let's start with seven days our roundup of the big events of the week obviously the biggest news of the week was last friday's terrorist atrocities in paris which uh obviously pretty shocking and um, we obviously uh, have great sympathy for anyone involved in that but the market seems to take it in their stride
3: yeah i mean there were some uh, travel related stocks took uh, an inevitable short-term hit but i mean I think um, that's that's expected. I mean, the market as a whole, I think, kind of dipped a little bit because it does tend to, when these things happen, but it has recovered, um, but obviously that's... Um Yeah, a a moot point given what happened in uh, Paris, as you say, very tragic events.
0: Indeed. And yeah, I mean, just looking at the uh, FTSE 30-day rolling price that we publish on the stats page, I mean, the shares are up this week. It's been a a pretty strong week. And that's despite the backdrop of uh, a rate rise potentially over in in the US. The Fed is uh, obviously published the minutes this week. And uh, I think people are bracing themselves for a rise in December now.
3: Yeah, closely watched as ever. Many um, any words that are uttered by the Federal Open Markets Committee over in the U.S. Um, people are keen to know what they're um, going to do, and obviously they don't sort of really tell you in advance. They just kind of make statements, um, which are picked apart by thousands and thousands of people. And um, yeah, it does seem now. I mean, we've been here before. And we've probably heard it before as well. But it does seem now that December could be um, the month where rates finally lift off in the U.S. But you know that various factors have been blamed for not moving rates before I and mean, we've got another few weeks so if there's some more weak data out of Europe or China or Japan's back in recession now mm. you know, technical recession arguably but you know there are there are potential reasons why December might not happen.
0: Yeah I mean they seem to give themselves a bit of wiggle room in uh, in their thinking so yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they postpone it again.
3: No it's, I mean it's just sensible I guess I mean yeah. and I guess I mean linked to that is uh, talking about seven days obviously an interesting thing is um, Germany it's not the the first time they've done it but they've got um two-year debt away and negative yield so that that potentially speaks to you know sort of bearishness arguably in the um, global investor community because um if you would effectively pay germany to give them some money then you can't be that confident about things so
0: yeah i mean I, I must admit i take a very gloomy tone in my editorial not just because of uh, of the tragic events in paris um but because I, I am genuinely concerned as we spoke about last week about some of the signs we're seeing um fr- from uh, global trade um you know we're seeing a lot of profit warnings we're going to talk about those very shortly yeah um but yeah i, I think safe havens are becoming uh sought after all the more at the well moment. you just
3: have to look at that yeah um i guess um then in other areas of um you know seven days um a very interesting story um, which perhaps helps that footsie figure um that you mentioned a bit earlier is um Smith's uh, group which i think on the day the shares rose about 10% if i remember rightly um effectively what they've uh, what they announced was the fact that they would be able to put um a bit less um contribution into their pension scheme which will free up some free cash flow and there's also the suggestion that what this will also enable it to do is sell off parts of its business um we actually had um, Smith on a sell, I think, as a sell tip. Um, and part of the reason was because we were saying it needs to sell off parts of its business and it can't. And then a, a shortly after, obviously now it's been able to do that. So I think um, Daniel Liberto, who covers that company for us, one of our specialist writers, is, um, is looking at that again and will be uh, publishing a, an updated tip, I think, based on this significant change.
0: Mm. I mean, one thing that Smith makes is uh, detection. Explosive detection machines uh, that use the airports and, and border controls, and I, you yeah. know I guess that's kind of a a, a good place to be now yeah um, when, you, so. when you look at the, the the response to what's happened in paris and and what's happening elsewhere in the world yeah, borders look like they're going to be tightened up
3: absolutely yeah everywhere you look I mean just listen to listening to the news you 've got you know yeah obviously france is, is, borders are still shut for the moment um Germany still seems fairly um, open and relaxed, but yeah, I think you're right the the sort of the um the direction of travel would m- more likely be if we see another um, atrocity as well. Would be that yeah, borders are going to become much tighter.
0: Yeah, and by all accounts, there's uh, there's plots being prevented left, right, and centre at the moment. Yeah, it's not uh, not not good not good at all. Um, asset managers, um, let's let's move on to that quickly uh, because the FCA has uh, has them in its. Uh, (laughs) crosshairs it
3: does it does i mean arguably it always does but um particularly now it's um published its um expected terms of reference uh market study um it's an interesting one i suppose obviously we've got um you know martin wheatley recently departed from the fca there's a new sort of um head of the regulator now and so i guess it's kind of um it's going to want to make sure that it looks like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Where asset managers are concerned, it's going to be want to be. Um, it's going to want to show that it's still on top of um, issues within the within the asset management sector. Well, was it was it worried about in the asset management sector? I think fees, what, pay. Yeah, yeah, well, the usual or the lot? Is, yeah, the lot, and I mean, um, competition as well. I mean, Hargreaves Lansdown put out a note, and they were saying that the amount of money in. ICEs that are sold by fund groups, um, in which you can only invest in that fund group's products. Um, that has only just fallen below the level of money in ICEs um on platforms where you can choose from, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of funds. So there's that inertia mm. that I think the regulator is worried about. And what that inertia tends to mean is that there are, there is a lot of money sitting in underperforming funds. Um and also consumers aren't actually you know, taking advantage of the choice that is available to them if they just move platform.
0: I mean, my view on that would be that um, many, many consumers, many members of the buying public... Um they're not especially well informed. I mean, there's a lot of information out there, but people, this is something that, that scares them investing, and yeah. you know, they would perhaps perceive a safe haven brand that they've heard of. You know, I, I won't name any names, but we, there's a lot of big fund management groups that are very well known, yeah. And you know, those safe haven brands might appeal to, to people who who are a bit reticent about investing.
3: And arguably, you could say that there are some fund groups who maybe you might, if you even if you had the choice of the whole market, you might end up choosing quite a few of their funds. So mm. if you're in their eyes, or it might not be a bad thing you might be able to have a mixture of investment trust and funds with that one funds group. But, um, yeah, as you say, um, yeah, pensions are a daunting prospect. We're a, a slightly, uh, as a population, I think, in the UK, probably a, a bit under-informed, or maybe we're just um, not reading the amount of information that is out there. Depends on your point of view, I suppose. But, I yeah. think there's
0: a lot of information out there. Yeah. I think if you picked up the Investors Chronicle well, uh, each week, you would, you would be able to dep- definitely separate the wheat from the chaff. I mean, yeah. it's something we do in the fund section a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I don't know why the, there is this tendency to, to to just go for you know no. the, the comfort of of a brand and pay no attention to the fees and the performance. It's a, it's slightly bizarre.
3: It is bizarre, and or um, well, I guess this is exactly the, one of the things that the FCA will certainly be hoping to look at and raise awareness of. Um, as you say, obviously us here at the Investors Chronicle, we try our best to make sure people know um, you know what they're investing in and make them try and get them to think about why they're investing in the things that they are um and so you know the, the SCA will be keen to um you know echo that i suppose okay.
0: well you know where we are happy to help out yeah, always. <laughs> uh, um another story here about uh playtek and plus 500 which uh which is a, a potential um merger in the gambling sector which has uh, been a hotbed of corporate activity at the moment but um there's, there's some other uh, activity going on there at the moment
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a really interesting story is the letter by a chap called Dermot Desmond, who um, basically uh, sent a letter to the shareholders of Ladbrokes outlining his uh, displeasure about the mooted deal with Gala Coral. Dermot Desmond is not the largest shareholder. I think he owns about 1% stake. But the interesting thing about him is that he's very well known, he's high profile.
0: yeah, he has something to do with the attempt to take over of Manchester United for years If you
3: days. look at his well if you look at the Wikipedia page on him, he has a very, very interesting history in terms of his business life. I mean he set up a stockbroker, um, national city brokers in Dublin in one thousand nine hundred and eighty one he's purchased and sold years ago the um, London city airport um, he's had a lot of different business interests now he runs a private equity firm. And he actually sold his BetDAC exchange to Ladbrokes. So he does know the business pretty well.
0: Should we be worried that this is going to derail the deal?
3: Well, very interestingly, um, the timing is intriguing because the EGM for Ladbrokes is on Tuesday. So just in a few days' time, the shareholders will vote on whether the, uh, the merger between Ladbrokes and Gala Coral should go ahead. So the timing of this is very interesting. Not only that, but one of the fund managers that I spoke to who works for a fund management group that's within the top 10 shareholders of Ladbrokes said to me that Dermot Desmond had been trying to meet as many shareholders as possible and that he would be trying to meet uh, Mr. Desmond as well before the meeting to at least hear you know, hear what he's got to say. So it s- seems like Mr. Desmond is certainly um, keen to try and get his views heard and he's doing his best to get in front of as many investors as he can.
0: And why not? I mean, you know, Ladbrokes has had a torrid run of things over the last few years. I mean, you can't imagine there's many people thinking, ho- holding out for some kind of, you know
3: yeah i mean it's had a tough Gray, time
0: better you know improve performance without without something significant like a a merger with well, yeah, another player actually exactly happening. it's
3: had a tough time and the people that i've spoken to kind of say we accept what he's saying you know there are issues such as if Ladbrokes has to sell an awful lot of shops the amount of profits it might lose from that might well outweigh any synergies that can be found with with the merged entity um But at the same time, his only really kind of solution seems to be um, hiring an investment bank to assess the options, which, let's face it, normally means um, sell. Um, But if you sell, who's the buyer? I mean, you know... William Hill has a massive estate so that wouldn't merge very well with Ladbrokes. Um, it's difficult to see who else given the fervent M&A landscape in the gambling sector who else would come along. So maybe this is um, mm. I mean, the fund manager that I spoke to said this was an okay deal. He viewed it as okay. It wasn't a standout deal but he acknowledges that scale is going to be so important in this industry going forward given things like the point of consumption tax which um, is tax on offshore companies is you know, UK um, profits and machine gaming duty. So scale is going to be key and this merger does give um, Ludbrooks that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the only other player I can think of that, that might be interested is Paddy Power but uh, well, they're, they're gonna... obviously in in the midst of a big deal themselves. Exactly, so, this is the
3: so. thing, they're, they're in the midst of a deal with, um, with uh, yeah, Betfair as you say and then you've also got GVC who um, is looking to take over Bwin so you could argue 888 might be interested because 888 got beaten to the punch for Bwin, GVC outbid it. Um, so maybe 888 might look to do that, um, but uh, yeah, there wasn't you know. wasn't the suggestion I got from the analysts and the managers that I spoke to yesterday.
0: No. Anyway, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of uh, corporate activity going in that sector. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Interesting. Always interesting that yep. sector, uh, even if it's unsavoury. <laughs> But that's just my opinion. (laughs) Um, Okay, what else we got? DX, I mean, that was a horror show. Horror show.
3: Yeah, there was um, a profit warning that came out. I think it was about midday uh, on Friday. So it kind of.
0: um, Yeah, 12 o'clock Friday, 13. Yeah, exactly. Not a good time to do a profit warning.
3: No, obviously, normally these announcements come sort of earlier in the morning so that people who check the um you know RNS announcements kind of see that sort of thing but i mean um yeah it came out in the middle of the day and the shares plunged some 70 percent yeah. from about 80p to 24
0: I mean i think i think there is a small cadre of management and, and pr advisors that think that you can sneak out a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, here is the reason for never try to sneak out a profit warning. DX. No, I, I,
3: I'm sure. I, I hope that they weren't thinking that they were to sort of avoid any notice by doing it. But um, I guess um, one thing it points to, which is um, you know, which is kind of interesting, is the fact that if you miss expectations these days, the market does punish you. It really does punish you.
0: Yeah, because we, I mean, we talked about this last week. Rolls Royce got punished. And yeah. We, yeah, that's a big company, but even you know. Twenty percent profit warning for a company like that is is pretty pretty substantial it is um, yeah and, and I write in my editorial this week you know the interesting thing and this was, this was an observation made by a very successful investor I, I had lunch with last week was yeah okay there seems to be an elevated level of profit warnings, but the reaction seems to be to them seems to be worsening, yeah. you know, the reactions are quite severe, and seventy percent for a profit warning is. I mean, it's massive.
3: Yeah, it's huge. And I mean, I think, you know, that it's not going to, I don't think it's going to fall into a loss or anything. I mean, it's just, it's not going to do as well as it hoped it would. And I mean, I guess there's um, an argument that the the industry it's operating in is very competitive. So there is that issue as well. And I guess if you're not going to meet your expectations, then that's quite foreboding in that sector. But um, as you say, yeah, the, the reaction to these things is becoming, um, you know, uh, very very big uh, very sort of um, yeah. the share price movement on one day I mean that is just remarkable
0: indeed actually what this guy said to me was that you know not only that you're seeing a lot of companies who are just about staving off uh, having to warn uh, by saying we're going to make it up in the second half and, and I noticed a number mm. of those in the results section this yeah, week yeah absolutely
1: we've had um, there's
2: one for um, electrical components which I'm writing about today actually
0: and that's what they've said going
2: to make it up in the second half yeah,
0: yeah. I mean this guy's mm. view is well you know any deterioration in, the, in the, the, the economic backdrop means that anyone promising to make it up in the second half is, uh, you know, optimistic. Um, and his view, I mean, he's, he, he runs portfolios that he, that he um, promotes publicly. You can see what he's doing. And he's saying anything, anyone who says they're making it up in the second half, sell it. Sell it. What mm. are we saying about electric components? They
2: want to sell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so while we're on the subject of results, um, seeing what we got this week.
1: Well, um, it's uh, the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're sort of in the throes of the third quarter results season. Um, the So, mostly companies that have year, year ends which coincide with the fiscal year, so they end in, May, in March, they have their half year results at this time of year. Um, and.
0: Uh, yeah, this is the results season we always forget about. It creeps <laughs> up on us. It's like, oh,
1: God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it has been interesting. And, and I mean, actually,. Uh, um, there have been a lot of downgrades, actually, there, uh, some analysis by um, um, Canaccord, which is the broker that took over Colin Stewart's yeah. um, Quest equity analysis business. Anyway. Yeah, they've got a big, interesting yeah. sort
0: of proprietary data tool. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 a lot of their research.
1: and um, they put out some interesting information talking about Earnings downgrades and how it's not just energy and materials. Mm. So it's not just you know BP and Shell and, and 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 BHP. It's it's also you know um, quite it's been quite common in other sectors as well. Just looking at the FTSE 350.
0: See, I'm, so uh, I don't have a big proprietary data engine to tell me this, but my gut feels yeah. No, me telling it, me this is yeah. There have been a lot worsening. of there
1: have been a lot of profit warnings and and so um, as you know, o- often what you get. The the pattern tends to be that earnings expectations are downgraded because analysts start the year quite optimistic and they kind of gradually downgrade their earnings. Um, What what's a bit? It does
0: work the other way as well. It does work the other way as Algie talked about. But upgrade cycles. I I guess it depends Uh, where you are in. the Yeah, as I say, that happened in 2010.
1: I don't think it's happened in a year since. That, as far as I know, the the, but what was a bit unusual at the moment is that people are downgrading their expectations for 2016 as well, right? uh, Because you've got some very weak outlook statements.
0: Um, no, but let's talk about EasyJet because yeah. you know, on paper these were absolutely spectacular. Results. Well, the gr- fifth, gr- fifth year of record it's profits. It's a great example
1: of investors obviously having ridiculously high expectations because yeah, they they, um, they yeah record profits, um, dividend up. 20% or something like that wasn't it Bradley
3: yeah I mean it was it, was, as, yeah, it comes back to the point we we're making earlier I mean they they hit the midpoint of their guidance which was which meant they achieved a fifth year of record profits and the shares were down 4% on the day I mean Barrett, uh, maybe maybe six, you could say it's profit taking I, I mean I don't know but yeah it was, um, it was a very strange share price movement for that for that amount of um, for, for that performance from the airline
0: yeah yeah, no, I mean it's 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 an extraordinary uh, fall for for what are solid results, and I guess yeah. I guess people are worried about what the next couple of years have in store. Mm. I and
3: guess so pr- maybe there's a reaction as well to the the recent uh, you know instance, the tragic instance in Sharm El Sheikh and Paris, and that sort of thing, um, just to travel generally. But maybe that's part, partly baked into that recent share price fall. Um,
0: well, I mean, easyJet shares are down over the over the year. Uh, the calendar year so i mean since two, since the beginning since january their shares are down I mean, and, and yet you know the tailwinds of low fuel prices and economic growth and economic recovery in europe are, are, are with them um so yeah there may be some sentiment uh behind that as well um and i i write about this in in my editorial you know tui uh, which merged with its parent company this year i mean it's it's booking trends are solid and and its shares are going nowhere mm. i do want worry that yeah. I think
1: people are worried about the outlook uh, and the is, cycle turning
0: and I think people are worried about the geopolitical backdrop in certainly in the travel sector as well
2: I was oh. going to say with EasyJet could not some of it be, I don't know how much of an impact but the whole terrorist attacks, yeah. not only Tunisia but obviously most recently Paris, would that
3: they did address this on the call, and um, the chief executive, Carolyn McCann, said that Shams only like 0.5% of all of their traffic. So it's not a significant amount, that route. But obviously, that doesn't mean that that will stop people wanting to fly anywhere, not just to Sharm El Sheikh or. That's what I was
2: saying. Paris, that's so. what I mean. Like, yeah. that just general feeling. I don't know. People are
0: funny. People are funny. I bumped into a friend at lunchtime actually, and he said his wife won't get on a plane now. She, she, he said she struggles to get on a plane at the best of times, and now she's definitely not getting on a plane. So people do worry about this. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's very visible, and um, I mean, EasyJet is it, it's short haul. It doesn't, you know, but it, but it does fly to some of these destinations that like Tunisia or or Egypt that um, that have been affected. So yeah, I mean, it, it probably is a worry. But um, yes, there you go. Um,
1: Another interesting result was um, punch um they had they announced their response to the government's move to abolish the beer tie um we, this has a lot been a long awaited they had their debt problems obviously last year and so that there's been this long recovery plan but then um this this was another big long awaited announcement um Bradley i mean you you wrote that one up
3: yeah yeah i mean as you say um actually interestingly punch and enterprise Inns, which are the two um companies most affected by the changes in legislation that are coming in um both reported um in the past week um as Stephen said they're both kind of having to um, make sure that their house is in order so to speak um because the legislation will mean that pubs that the the company owns will no longer have to buy drinks from the company and that sort of thing so the mro stands for market rent only so you would just pay rent as a publican and you could buy your drinks from wherever you and liked lo- yeah mean, but,
0: what, but what punch is trying to do is sort of create a buy a buyers club anyway amongst it's uh, done which, that. which looks quite interesting I yeah mean, i mean that, that
3: exists and actually really interestingly i didn't really know this but you can even get cheaper gas and electric through it so mm. there is there are quite big incentives for publicans to be part of these buyers clubs because you get the economies of scale not just on your sort of obvious things like beverages but also your utility bills so there are advantages to it they
1: yeah. really will test you know they've always said oh well publicans benefit but this will be the test you know will they actually stick with uh, with with the beer tie um you know, because of these economies, these economies of scale, they're supposed to have access to, or will they decide that actually, you no, know, they're brought off getting a market rent?
0: Oh, I thought we'd given up on uh, on Punch altogether. Um, but there you go. Um, okay. The, well, they both trade. I mean,
1: their shares are sort of trading on extremely cheap multiples because. It, but I mean, that reflects the fact that you've got weak but beer volumes and. Still. And very high levels of debt. So,
0: yeah, interesting, uh, interesting. Okay, so uh, maybe they're going to come back into to the investment spotlight again.
1: Yeah, we, we'll, well, I think what we conclude as a result of those two results um, were that you know these companies are now looking at investable. We 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 need a bit more evidence of. Um, you know, actually, organic growth, I think, is the, is the key one, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and also I mean, proof that these new
1: models that they're going for are going to actually work and produce yeah. something. So I mean, that, very that's early important. days, but it, they are looking like one could actually invest in them again.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, and plenty more results in the magazine this week. So plenty of results there from uh, from the real estate sector, from the, the real, real estate investment trusts, and, uh, and across the board, actually. I mean, it's uh, been a busy, busy week. Emma, you've written this week's cover feature. Let's talk about that now. So um, it's about outsourcing. Uh, give, us, give us a bit of background. Why have we written this feature? What's it all about?
2: Basically, what we're saying is outsourcing is on the rise. Outsourcing is
0: on the rise. Why, why is that then?
2: Big government cuts, basically. About 20 billion, George Osborne announced. And what history has told us is that as money gets tight, outsourcing goes up.
0: And uh, So basically what we're looking at in the piece is uh, who's going to be the beneficiaries of that, what, yeah. which areas of, uh, of uh, running of, co- you know, of services are going to be basically farmed out, what's up for grabs. Yeah, so yeah. Um, let's talk through perhaps you know, the big areas that, that we expect um, to be put out to tender or that are already you know, being run yeah. by private companies. Where, where, are the, uh, where are the sweet spots here for, uh, for the private companies that we cover?
2: Big one would be kind of ministry of justice
0: justice yeah okay.
2: but not just the traditional ones because obviously we all know about g4s and circo and how it has gone very wrong in the past um as well as capita they're a big one but we're talking about people like even to serve okay um they've got they made an acquisition to the employment and skills group bit out of the ordinary for them actually because that's training people to get back into work but Kind of ex-offenders trying to skill them up, that kind of thing. Yeah. So a bit out of the ordinary because usually, you know, they'll just do construction or cleaning services or things like that.
0: I I mean, are they? Can they do this? How? How are they actually? You know, themselves getting the skills to actually provide this kind of service? This is
2: a a comment from some analysts that have said, generally stick to what you know with an acquisition, and this is very out of the ordinary for them. They they don't have they've never made an acquisition in this kind of skills area. So I think uh, from people I spoke to they say the jury's still out on whether this will be a good acquisition for them. Yeah. Still early days.
0: So so a lot of uh, M&A activity going on to help these companies kind of mm. tap into the to the you know hot areas in in government outsourcing. Yeah. Okay.
2: Another big one: welfare to work. Welfare
0: to work. Okay. Bit of a That's controversial
2: good. one. That one, obviously. Well, it's
0: all controversial. It's
2: all contro. The whole, the whole debate over outsourcing is controversial. Kind of privatization. Some would say mm. of things like the NHS versus need to cut costs. Yeah. So it's all yeah. controversial.
0: Well, I mean, there is the big argument. I mean, let's before we get back onto welfare to work, that, that outsourcing is just a way of passing a problem on to the private sector, who will then just basically. Yeah. Uh, Downgrade the level of service they provide to, to the citizens of the country.
2: Yeah, in order I mean, to make money. Well, that is one argument. <laughs>
0: um, do, you, do you believe that argument?
2: I. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because obviously, historically, with Circo and people like that, one of the reasons. Uh, from a company's perspective, that they went so badly wrong is because they keep everyone's trying to chase this pot of money, mm. and so everyone's undercutting each other. This is a big uh, kind of place where g GeForce and Circo went wrong. They're all trying, they're all bidding on these kind of tiny margins. So
0: they're underbidding, basically. So they're
2: all underbidding each other, trying to undercut each other. And then you've got to think to yourself, well, what standard of service are you going to deliver if you're just trying to undercut and undercut and undercut? And actually Mighty is another one, actually recent sell tip of ours of mine. Has it um, going.
0: Well, I would imagine.
2: Well, to be honest, they're actually doing all right at the moment. Oh, well, we're, yeah, we're, saying, we're saying they're a long-term sell. Yeah, okay? yeah. Um, but
0: this is on the basis that...
2: Well, no, this is on the basis of the fact that they keep um, bidding for contracts, sometimes getting the contracts and then ending up with... Exceptional costs Mm. um, that actually aren't acceptable exceptional because they happen every single year and it's things like they've had to make provisions for contracts that they couldn't complete and things like that. So they would be a really good example actually if we want to look at Mighty, look at their accounts of a company that is they were actually one of the big competitors for Circo. I was gonna
1: say is Mighty the new Circo?
2: Well, um, what do you mean in terms of in terms well, of recovery? I mean,
1: or, well, I mean, Circo obviously we've actually got Circo on a buy now, right? Yeah, that's I'm just m- that's, that's, that's a but new that's be- tip. But um, that, that's because they've been through this down yeah, cycle of yeah, provision, yeah, yeah. provisions and yeah, right, they went right, they went this right, this right
2: and, to the bottom, didn't they?
1: Um, so I mean, when I say is mighty the new Circo, I mean are they at that point where they're about to have to kind of write? Well, this off is my massive,
2: argument. Yeah. yeah, this is my argument because they've already gotten into that pattern of having to have provisions for contracts. Um, and organic growth really kind of slowing. Actually, mm. we talk about them because they do a lot of uh, care in the home as well, Okay, compete with people like Mears. Um, care in the home is, is not doing well at the moment. Obviously, that's something that's outsourced by a lot of either kind of NHS trusts it can be or local authorities, and I know there's big recruitment issues there. And unsurprisingly, because it's kind of minimum wage and it's a tough job, um, as well as the fact that um, a lot of government departments are facing these big cuts and it's just not the budget for it. So I know me is they kind of do the social housing and the care in the home, but care in the home is just really lagging behind at the moment.
0: In terms of the business performance?
2: Business performance, yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: Okay, I mean, it's interesting. I know someone who receives care in the home from... As it turns out, an outsourced provider pays for it themselves. The service is not great. It's not great. You know, you don't get a lot for your money. Put it that One, way. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so let's go back to welfare to work because Staffline is the big Staffline. We, we kind of like Staffline. Oh we? yeah,
2: Staffline. If you got into Staffline before the election, you, I mean, I think it went from something like eight hundred p to now it's on like fifteen hundred and something pence. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to tip it, but. uh I think it was too risky. Our tips editor said, but um, just before the election, um, fair dues. Yes, the
0: the age-old argument with the tips editor, <sighs> fair,
2: and, uh, fair yeah, dues,
1: fair dues. Yeah,
0: all right. Now I've been
2: there, um, been there. Don't worry. But um, it's
0: always the tips editor's fault
1: when it, go, it doesn't go our way, and, yeah, and it's know. it's our you know good good spot when it's it does, when go, it does go. The away. tips editor's
0: fault with <laughs> the ones that get left behind. The, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Been there. Don't worry.
2: Um, but uh, but in terms of the welfare to work that's very lucrative for anyone that doesn't know how it works basically people that are long term unemployed the idea is to give them work experience to get back into work so with staffline um i met with the chief actually chief exec uh, a few weeks ago and basically they use like i don't know say it'll be a cardo or something it, they partner with them a lot and, and get people back into work they have some of ocado's equipment and they're trained in these kind of units that are owned by Staffline to like learn how to use the equipment and things like that and then get them back into work okay Staffline are like the biggest provider of of the welfare to work program and they've the the contracts are actually all being retendered by the dwp next year um but i think Avanta and A4E were two Starline acquisitions and this is how they got into welfare to work. Mm. Um and it's unlikely that it'll be scrapped. So, you know, obviously we talk about political risk as being a big thing with outsourcing. Um but it is unlikely that it'll be scrapped because there's such a pressure now obviously to lower unemployment rates. And I think Starline had something like a 20 20- success rate of getting people back into work, which doesn't sound great, but I think the top company was actually G4S, who were about 30%. Okay. So they've they've done quite well in getting people back into work.
0: I mean, Starfly is not a big company.
2: No, they're not huge.
0: In the grand scheme of outsourcing, it's not of the scale of Capita or G4S. So you talked about the contracts coming up for Retender. I mean, that must be a risk for for some of the smaller companies Uh, competing in this space.
2: Well, yes, it will be. But I mean that's the whole point why Staffline did the A4E acquisition they've actually renamed it now because there are a lot of issues around fraud and things like that and I thought uh, the ministry of um, the the DWP actually said uh, you have to rebrand it that's what the chief exec said they got told we want you to rebrand this so
0: fraud within the company that they bought yes
2: but yeah yeah but this was all these are legacy issues
0: retraining some of their own former employees
2: (laughs) (laughs) These are legacy issues. Yeah. They've been uh, they've they've been uh, renamed now. People Plus, but this is the point. Scale is the issue with outsourcers, which is why it's so hard if you are a small provider to kind of get in there.
0: Well, hasn't hasn't the government said that it wants more small providers yeah, they set, they to be providing targets. these kind of services?
2: They've set targets: twenty five percent of government contracts they want from small outsourcers to handle. But the fact is, is that to win a contract, you need a track record. So mm. it's very difficult to kind of. Kind of elbow your way in, yeah, you see yeah. what I mean,
0: especially if you're having to compete so aggressively on price yeah. with, with some of the bigger guys. Yeah. So, do you think it's a realistic target the government has set, twenty five percent by small companies? No. No. Well, I, do you know
2: what? It depends, actually, because I did speak to someone, someone in the press office there, and they said that actually, okay, fair enough. Say. I don't know, a smaller outsourcer. It might, they might not be the small company, but hopefully they'll integrate small companies somewhere along their supply chain. So maybe it'll come through there.
0: So a subcontracting. yeah, sounds yes. like a fudge, doesn't it? <laughs>
2: it does. Actually, well, talking about subcontracting, I know a lot of the big, and I'm talking about the big three, have been criticised in the past for subcontracting and kind of really squeezing little players in the market. So... It's a bit of that, that in itself, to be honest, is controversial.
1: Indeed,
0: indeed. What I've, about
1: the international angle, which used to be a big part of their growth strategy? But uh, Serco, has, uh, under Rupert Soames, has obviously rolled yeah. back from that massively. Have have has a G four us. They've
2: really it, slimmed down because Capital It was just a mess. Yeah, um, Capital not so much, but Serco have really slimmed down. Obviously, that the Indian business. Process
0: business process outsourcing that, that one yeah.
2: um as uh, they've sold that off and they're concentrating a lot more on kind of uk and public sector um so you know public sector is the whole meant to be the whole driving force behind Circo's recovery so hopefully but you obviously the, believe that
0: if you've i do i do because i
2: think they've hit the bottom And they had that massive provision right back recently, which actually featured in the tip show, I think, last week. Okay. okay. Um,
0: This, by the way, is Algie Hall's new uh, tip update show, where we go back and look at a tip and how it's performing. So you did that last week.
2: Yeah. And that was just that they'd, one of their kind of loss-making contracts, it was meant to end in 2022, and now it's 2017. It's going to end, so they've got rid of, rather than having to account, keep accounting for the loss, they've... Was it re-
1: refurbishing Australian gunboats or something. It was the
2: Armadale class of patrol boats that oh. they were servicing, <laughs> ah, um, and uh, and yeah, that was loss-making for them. But they've cut back on that one. That's okay.
0: good. I mean, defence is a big area for outsourcing. Um, we won't go into it now because that bit was written by Daniel, who covers the uh, the aerospace and defence sector. So we won't go into that now. You have to pick up the magazine and uh, and read that aspect of the of the feature. Um, one one little company. I mean, you talk about you know how difficult it is for small companies to to thrive in this space, despite the fact that the government wants them to. Um, but there is a small company you've identified, which I must admit, i would never heard of before.
2: Essex based as well. Essex
0: based. Love a bit of Essex based. Yeah. Lake House.
2: Lake House.
0: Let's talk a bit about this.
2: Yeah, Lake House. No, I like Lake House. Um, the, the CEO is actually used to work at Mia's, one of their rivals. Okay. Basically, they started out, obviously, as this kind of Essex-based construction business. Um, and so now, lo- lots
0: of them about, I tell you.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but now they've gone into a lot more of the social housing sector. So obviously they get their money from local authorities and the key to them is they're trying to make lots of kind of bolt-on acquisitions to but say you know they have exposure to social housing maintenance in the south so they'll make an acquisition up north they're trying to just expand and then they'll cross-sell their services and they've they've shown really great growth actually so far is
0: it at aim traded are they
2: um i'm not they? sure I actually i think they may be main market okay. we've only just started covering them actually because they are quite small they're over 100 million market cap though okay but um they still are quite small but actually i think their yield um their y- their estimated dividend for the full year will be 4.3 percent which so, is so pretty good
0: generating cash
2: which yeah, is what yeah. we like to see yeah they've got a great balance sheet yeah net cash so
0: yeah. i think
2: they plan to carry on with their their whole Acquisitions, cross-selling agenda, um, going forward. It
0: sounds sensible as long as they're managing that prudently, which uh, I presume you're keeping a close oh, eye yeah. on. Yeah, cash is king. Cash is king, Can't and let you know the don't cash overs- be eroded. Don't want to overstretch the balance sheet. So, uh, sounds good. Sounds good. Thank yeah. you, Emma. That's, uh, no, fascinating. So uh, yeah, really interesting look at the outsourcing market and how that's developing. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, so that just about wraps up uh, this week's podcast. Um, There's plenty more in the magazine. We've got uh, a Momentum stock screen from Algie Hall. It's an absolute uh, monster in terms of performance. Um, The Sector Focus was written by you, wasn't it, Bradley? It was, yeah. It's on the buses.
3: doesn't sound very sexy, but the buses, Bill. um, On the buses, yeah.
0: And um, not necessarily going to be a very happy journey there for some of those companies. Have a read. Yeah, um, James Norrington has looked at uh, what he describes as factor investing so um, it's it's a play on smart beta and he's got a couple of pieces in there around that as part of our market tactics series um, lots in the personal finance and funds section um, they will be talking about that on their podcast so you can uh, have a listen to that and obviously have a read in the magazine lots of results as we said it's been a very busy week lots of comment lots of news uh, which we haven't discussed on the podcast uh, thank you Bradley thank you Emma and thank you Stephen um, and uh, we'll be back again Next week, in the meantime, go pick up the magazine, £4.50, all good news age, and see you again soon. Thank you.